Welcome to Rocketship, the podcast where web developers learn the skills and secrets to ship awesome mobile apps. I'm Simon Grimm, creator of Galaxies.dev, and today's guest is a fellow German developer, who, uh, Benedikt Müller, who's actually not living in Germany anymore, but in Singapore right now. So welcome to the podcast, Benedikt. Hi, Simon. Thank you. Benedict is uh, currently a lead solution engineer at Salesforce, um, but he's been on parental leave for about almost yeah two years at this point, and he's doing some pretty cool indie hacking projects. Um, he has built the Felt app, which uh, helps to create applications with AI, and he just released his latest application, Share My Stack, where you can share your technology stack. So uh, after a lot of episodes talking about uh, like we had Storybook and we had Tamagui on this podcast. Um, I'm really happy to dive into uh, a developer and his stories once again. So um, maybe we can start by uh, getting into your story. I saw you work for IBM, for Accenture, for Salesforce, a lot of big names. Um, how, did, how did you get like into programming and uh, how did you end up at Salesforce? Give us like the uh, short condensed version of your career. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'll try to make it short. Uh, sure. Uh, so uh, I guess like many programmers, I started back in school. Uh, so when I was still going to high school, I uh, came to programming. I started making websites using, uh, what was it called? Front page, Microsoft front page. Oh, yeah. That was my first experience in making websites and uh, just first for myself and then I started like doing a website for the local church and then I was engaged in scouts so I did a website for the scouts um, actually did my first kind of mobile it was not a mobile app but mobile experience back then because we used to go to scout camp in summer and uh, I built something uh, where you could like we had a cell phone which uh, didn't have real internet I guess but it's it already had email so I built a tool where we would take a picture, which was, of course, a very crappy picture back then. <laughs> I think this was like 2007 or something or even earlier. No, oh, it must have been crazy. 2005 <laughs> even, or, or 2004. And we emailed the picture to an email address, address and I wrote like a server app that would pass these emails and create a blog. Um, so, yeah, I was always like building stuff already during school. Um, and then after school, I um, went to work in, a, in an internet agency. So I built web apps um, in a company um, and also went uh, to study at the same time. Um, so I went to university, studied, but I studied more like business and technology. So not really mm -hmm. computer science. And um, that's also what then brought me to IBM because I always had an interest in had an interest not only in the tech itself, but also in the business side of things. So I think one of my strengths was always to to see both styles and also to be able to talk both of those languages, right? To talk to business people and, and try to understand what, what they need and want, and then also translate it into what does it mean in terms of technology. Yeah. Um, and then I found like the perfect job for this combination from my point of view at IBM, uh, which was um, technical sales, like they called it, or solution engineering, like they call it at Salesforce. Every company has maybe a slightly <laughs> different term, but it basically means you, you are aligned with sales. So in the end, it's about uh, selling software to a customer, um, but you are not the primary salesperson, that's someone else. You are more like the translator, I, I like to call it between business requirements um, and then software and what the software can do. So yeah, that's I, what I, I did at yeah, that's, IBM. That definitely sounds like, um, uh, like a very interesting role. It's uh, because I think sales is like, yeah, we all have a picture of how, how sales looks and how it works. And, and it sounds like you're basically second level after sales, but you're also not really doing the implementation. You're more like planning the implementation and, and telling everyone what's, what's the right way to implement this. Yeah, it, exactly. It's also a different skill set, right? I I think I wouldn't be very good in in, in pure sales because like it, uh, it's very much like a job where you 
which consists of only talking to people, right? And and uh, I'm not afraid of talking to people, but I, I also <laughs> like I'm not that outgoing like most salespeople are, right? So that's a good um, compromise for me between uh, still um, being out there talking to to business users and also decision makers, but also then having this time where you sit in front of the computer and try to figure out technical stuff and 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 learn new technologies which is always something that like drives me to learn new stuff and uh see where kind of where the book is going in in the tech world yeah, so, yeah I, I found it a really interesting and, and and perfect combination for for me so that that's uh what i discovered at ibm and i did it for for quite some time i think uh all in all like six years with a little like in between i went to accenture um because I wanted to be more on the implementation side after being um, more on the sales side for so long. I wanted to see after we sell a project, what's really happening, right? So what does the project look like um, mm -hmm. in the real world? How do these things get implemented? Uh, that's what I went to Accenture for. But uh, yeah, to be honest, I quickly discovered this was interesting. Yes, but it was not my passion like like the things i was doing before so i i actually went back to ibm uh, i'm glad that they took me back <laughs> and, and continued in tech sales and then after a couple of years i i uh, went to salesforce because uh yeah they really uh i really liked their approach they were like one of the first real cloud companies where the software was not just some um, on-prem software that was uh, like transformed into the cloud or brought into the cloud this was software that was born in the cloud, right? And one of the first cloud solutions. So yeah. that was something very interesting. And also, um, it, it's a very interesting topic from my perspective because Salesforce does all the stuff that has to do with the customer, right? From sales, service, marketing. So uh, you can work with companies that, that you are yourself a customer of, right? That you know because you shop in their online shop, you get, <laughs> you get their newsletters, you, you see their marketing, and then you can work with them to improve that. So that was something that uh, yeah, was very, uh, like, sounded very interesting to me and, and made me switch jobs. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like you definitely found a perfect fit there. Um, also, two things I just wanted because I took some notes. Uh, first is, I feel like a lot of people made their first real applications for churches. And I, I, I think it's like <laughs> a very good way to, to kind of get started. Um, if you can't find like a paying gig in the beginning, uh, but still want to do something useful, uh, it, it doesn't have to be like a church, but it's some local group or community. I feel like just doing something for them or like the tennis club or you're part of uh, doing a booking system or whatever. Uh, it's a great way to get started with, with like your own project. And uh, the second yeah, thing absolutely. is it, it's, um, it's a nice example uh, that you made by quitting the job at IBM, which you thought was probably perfect to pursue this role at Accenture, and then noticing uh, that's not for me and going back. Because some people feel like quitting a job is like a life or death decision. And this is now like the second, third, fourth time that I see people quit for something to try it out and then actually go back to their initial company. Just my, my best friend here did it as well. He wanted to work for a startup and then he noticed very quickly, ah, no, that's not for me. And, and he also got back. So yeah, it, it's not always a life and death, uh, death decision to quit one of your jobs. It can be, uh, of course, maybe they don't <laughs> take you back. <laughs> but, uh, in a lot of cases, uh, it's good to pursue what you want to do. But it looks like uh, you actually haven't done what you did at Salesforce for the last two years, as you've been more of an indie hacker over the last years. Um, you also moved to Singapore. Maybe you can quickly uh, touch upon why you decided to move to Singapore, um, and then we can get into uh, some of your apps that you built over that time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so moving to, to another country was actually something that my wife and I always were planning to do. Um, like since we met in university, basically, um, and we always kept postponing it because the time always didn't seem right. First, it's we wanted to. Yeah, it, that's something we then figured out after a couple of years that timing is never right. So then we said, okay, we are just now we just go, okay, uh, and then COVID hit. So then the timing was really <laughs> not right. 
so we had to wait for another year but uh but then yeah we finally uh did it and of course the question was always how do we do that um like um if you go with two people it's uh like you have to see do you both find a job there for example mm-hmm. and uh yeah what we came up with in the end is that um we uh, my wife uh took a job in singapore she's a teacher so she's teaching at an international school here and uh, we decided that uh, she had taken um, parental leave before so back at home i was uh, working and after we got kids she stayed at home uh, for a while and then worked part-time after that and uh yeah when we decided to go to singapore we decided also to switch roles um <laughs> to uh have her work full time again and me being the primary caretaker uh like they say uh so yeah i i uh, it sounds it so means... technical right basically you're a dad <laughs> you're doing doing I, what a dad I'm should a, do <laughs> i'm a full time dad yeah right um and so yeah i'm to answer your question i'm i'm an indie hacker i live in singapore but i'm also first and foremost a full-time dad uh, which is uh, i like i wasn't expecting it to be easy uh, i i have uh, a lot of respect for the role of primary care taking i know that it is different from from the secondary one which uh, i i was always very involved but uh, still it's different if you are the one that has to also have all the stuff in your head like doctor's appointments and and whatever that mm-hmm. is right uh so yeah i didn't expect that it is easy but uh i still have to admit that i was uh not prepared for it fully right so uh, it was a challenge definitely um switching the roles like this but of course also it meant that yeah i i do have some free time uh, on my hand because kids go to school here or in kindergarten so they they are in school during the day and then yeah there's stuff i have to take care of but there's also time to to do my own projects and that is something that i'm extremely grateful for because um although i i love my job and uh i talked to you about how this was the perfect role or still is the perfect role for me i was always uh still building stuff on the side because i like uh, i always had my own ideas and also like technical things that i wanted to learn and try out that were not necessarily required for my job but that I was just interested in and now for the last two years uh, I just like could follow this passion and 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 build up my skills uh, even more uh, because yeah I did programming on the side always but it had been some time since I was really like full time programming and also um back before I went to IBM when I worked in the uh, web agency that did web applications uh, I still did everything in PHP and HTML um and uh, I I did notice the shift towards JavaScript so I still I I was already working with JavaScript and TypeScript uh, during my time then at Salesforce but uh yeah there was still a lot to learn for me in terms of react and then also of course react native which I uh went into as well and and, and adopted so um you you created two applications as far as i can see or two projects um you also i, I quickly want to mention this up front because i think they deserve to be noticed you also made two uh react community packages which were uh somewhat successful or uh, popular so the one being the react native app clip uh which you can use with expo as far as i know i think i never used an app clip could you could you just let me know what an app clip actually is or does yeah yeah they are surprisingly um uh, rare <laughs> so um yeah <laughs> when apple introduced them i think it is already like two and a half years ago maybe uh, that they were introduced or even three years Uh, I really thought it was a brilliant idea. Um so what they are actually is you can make an you can make basically a very stripped down version of an iOS app which um the user can use without installing. So the whole idea is that you uh, some somehow invoke the app clip which could be done via a QR code for example. Uh, so I think their demo example at WWDC in the presentation was like you go into a restaurant or like a I think it was like a smoothie shop or something and you want to order or you want to join their membership program and then 
they want you to use their app right then and there. But of course, you don't want to go through the process of downloading an app, <laughs> installing and so on. So yeah. you scan a code that is maybe at the register and you scan the code and the app opens immediately without any installation. Um, and that is basically what app clips are. So they are restricted in size. I think if when they started, it was like 10 megabytes. They have since um, increased the limit with every iOS version because obviously like 5G and, and, and good uh, cellular service um, are now very like uh, spread. So they increased the limit. But yeah, they haven't really seen a lot of adoption for, <laughs> I, I don't know which reason. I, I still find the idea interesting. Um, How does yeah. it work? Like, 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 is your phone downloading this this tiny package because Apple <clears throat> registered this package with the app clip, and then you can use it? And if you close it, yeah, it's, it's, it's gone, or is it like somewhere stored on the device? Then it's it's of course downloading the app, so it's it's like uh, I think you can compare it a bit um, to streaming. Like uh, in the past, you had to download a video and then you watched it, and now you can just go to Netflix and stream. And ah. this is the concept applied to apps, right? So you open the app, and because they limit the size, it's very small, so it should be there within like a second, probably. So, um, and then um, the functionality is a bit restricted. Um, so, for example, I think they make you use a sign up with Apple, for example, um, in an app clip, of because of course that's the most <laughs> convenient way um, and, and, and fastest way, but also, of course, their preferred way uh, for you to do this. Um, yeah, so I think the idea is the, and, and then, yeah, like you said, it, it disappears again. Uh, you can see it on your phone in the settings, I think. You can see the past app uh, clips. Uh, I think if you use an app clip, it has like in the following 12 or 24 hours, I'm not sure, it can still send you push notifications. Mm. So you can get back in there. Um, if like maybe you started something that is more like a longer running process, like ordering something, and then you can still get updates and get back into the clip without using the original invocation, which was maybe a URL or a QR code. And then also you can like have a little banner in the app clip that brings you to the full app. So, um, and they also make it seamless to upgrade. So if you logged in, in the app clip, for example, um, and then you say, okay, I, I like what I see and I want to use the full app. Then you download the full app and then in the full app, it should be like a seamless, um, Mm -hmm. experience that you switch from app clip to full app. Wow, this this sounds really interesting. I think I never used anything like this, but just hearing the explanation from your side makes me think of different use cases I could implement this for uh real companies like yeah. there must be some some uh, also like yeah, if if you just find it in the settings afterwards, it pretty much means that no normal person will find the app clip afterwards <laughs> if it's not installed, yeah. but it, it uh, definitely flaws, interesting yeah. use cases. Because it hasn't, yeah. it hasn't found yeah, much adoption. <laughs> right. Yeah, the, the same is actually true for, or I don't know if it's true, but um, like two years ago, I played around with a service for generating passes on iOS. Because in the, the pass, if you just have a pass, you can also get push notifications. For example, I have the Vapiano, which is a restaurant chain here in Germany. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't have their application, but I have a pass on my lock screen, like where you have your credit cards and stuff or the, the, the flight tickets. Uh, and they can actually send me push notifications just because I have that uh, pass in my passport here. Um, and I think there are also a lot of ways you could use that. And there was a company trying to do that. And you could like with a drag and drop editor, create these passes together and, and easily get them to users. So that is also another topic that not really heavily used. Uh, and I think it, it could actually be used a bit more. Um, but anyway, you, you also have a second uh, popular package, which is React Native Widget Extension. I actually just wanted to mention those two, but um, they seem to be, we could just make a whole episode on the two packages, I guess, <laughs> um, which is uh, helping you to add uh, live data in your widgets. I think you have an example where you have like football scores or something that you can display then in a widget. Is that the purpose of the React Native Widget Extension? Yeah, so uh, the example that I have in there is actually taken from uh, OneSignal, which is like a service um, which allows you to manage like push notifications and in-app messages and stuff like that. And they do have an iOS example app, which includes um, a live activity. 
And um, what I'm doing with this package is um, like a live activity still needs to be written in Swift. You cannot do the live activity itself in React Native. Mm -hmm. um, but if you have a React Native app and you want to add a live activity, which you might even have, like you might have the Swift code or you write the Swift code, then it's still quite cumbersome to get this um, widget into the app. And what this extension yeah. does, it basically you take the Swift code and that's why I just used something that's out there. In this case, the one signal example, you basically take the folder with a few Swift files that they have in the example and you drop it into the extension. Uh, I mean, you drop the folder into your app and then you tell the extension the path to the folder. And then it will uh, like configure all the rest. So it will add the target um, for this um, extension. And it will also add like a native module that has the functions uh, that allow you to, com to communicate with the, with the live activity. And yeah, their yeah. example is, is like a football score. Um, Apple has an um, example live activity in their docs as well, which is like a pizza delivery. Um, where you see like your driver is 10 minutes away and he's delivering four pizzas, for example. And that also works. Yeah. And it shows once again that the React Native community is a small place. And I just saw uh, next to you as a contributor is actually Fernando Rojo, uh, who I plan to bring on the podcast in a few <laughs> weeks as well, as he's doing Moti and all these other cool projects as well. Oh, yeah. Um, so he has so many projects. He's, he's, really, <laughs> he's really great. Right, right. Okay, so so thank you so much, uh, first of all, for those two contributions to the community. Now, let's talk about your applications as I want to get a bit into the technology stick. Um, uh, let's probably start chronological. We can maybe quickly talk about the first app, which was the Felt app, I think. As far as I've seen from the demo video, which, by the way, everyone should watch as it looks like highly edited. It looks really good. Um, it is an app where you can basically create your own app with an AI voice command. Is that the, the right description of the project? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say yes. Uh, it has evolved to this. So I started this um, almost like when I began my parental leave. So it's almost two years old now and still not published. Uh, I hope it, <laughs> it will be someday. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a challenging project. Um, so I, I was always interested in um, tools that allow people to build apps easily. And um, I started this with the idea that um, people could write a little bit of code to describe an app and I would generate the app. So it didn't start as an AI project. But then, of course, when ChatGPT came out, I, I, I realized that, yeah, you don't even need to write the little bit of code to describe the app. You can just describe it in natural language now. And then ChatGPT generates the code or the package format that I defined. And then this um, generates the app. Uh, so yeah, the idea was to allow people to generate mobile apps. Um, not in the sense that you get an app where you have the code and then you maintain the code and deploy it. It should really be a very... Um, low barrier of entrance uh, thing for people that just need a specific workflow or app where there's not a special app out there, uh, but that are not like comfortable to go through the process of maintaining the code, even if it's maybe generated by something, then maintaining mm -hmm. it and also deploying it, going through the app store process. It was actually closely related to the app clip announcement from Apple because I was already thinking about this. And then with app clips, I thought now with an app clip, um, you don't even need to install anything, right? My idea was that you say what kind of app you need, and then you basically get a code, which you scan and, and the app that you just described opens on your phone without you going without you having an Apple developer account without you downloading anything from the app store. You just like, there's only two steps. You say what kind of app you want, and then you, you are using the app on your phone and there's nothing in between. Like this is the, the vision. Okay. Uh, I highly enjoyed that vision. Um, especially after your explanation of the app clip before I totally now get what this app is about. And to be honest, I think, the landing page does not 
do a good job of telling this story because from from the landing page, I got the impression that this is basically not a drag and drop app builder, but like a replacement with a bit of AI on top to like put together your app. And I assume that at some point I can download the code or maybe they're like input fields that I can define, but AI generation of the app clip that I can then instantly use with a QR code. Maybe you should like clip this. Um, <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah. It sounds like a super, yeah. super interesting project. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good feedback um, so, about the landing page. So I, I need to work on that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Uh, so this definitely sounds interesting. Um, maybe because I know you're very open about all the technologies and, and, and projects you do. Could you take us a bit behind the scenes of how this actually works? You actually, I mean, you said already you're using ChatGPT, probably uh, some prompt, but like, how are you generating the code? What is the whole tech stack? Um, what is the website built with? Is it Next.js? What is the app and, and like everything? I want to, I want to <laughs> get some a bit technical here. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so the the core idea basically is that the app exists in a in a format, which is a format that I specified myself, which is based on JSON, which basically describes how the app looks like and what, what it's doing. And then the app that do, or the, yeah, the app or the app clip that you are using is more like a container app, which takes this and then generates the interface on the fly, uh, because yeah, you need something on your phone that is executing this app. And this is like, the app, the, the mobile app that I'm building or that you would have in this app clip. And it's basically taking um, the metadata of this app to generate this, this app on your device. And this generation of this metadata is done either by ChatGPT uh, and you providing a prompt uh, or by you writing code um, which is also describing the app, which is then generating the the description. And what I'm are, are currently giving, working on. Are you giving clear instructions to ChatGPT to like reply in the JSON format for like that you came up with? Yeah, uh, that's something um, like I have to say about the whole technology, this app, and that's also why it's taking uh, quite a while is of course, this is all like changing very fast and there's new possibilities. And for me, like right now, the main reason to do this is that I'm technically interested in this and that, that I want to build something that I'm uh, like convinced of. Um, and if there's new opportunities to do it better, I'm, I'm switching gears. Uh, so that's not the best model if you want to do something to, to make an income, for example, or to, to get something out there. So business-wise, it's not, not very uh, clever. Uh, but yeah, right now, due to my situation, I, I can maybe a little bit afford to do that. But of course, I also want to see that I, I come to a point sometime where I can actually release this. Uh, so back to your question about the format. Um, Microsoft released something uh, like a couple of weeks or even months now. Um, which is basically, I, I, I'm trying to remember the name. It's a project that um, is basically, you can describe in TypeScript the expected output that you need from ChatGPT. Um, and then their library is handling, basically generating a better prompt um, that is then <laughs> handed to ChatGPT and then also validating <laughs> the reply. So I spent a lot of time to, <clears throat> to validate the reply <clears throat> sorry, mm -hmm. from ChatGPT to, to see like, is the JSON broken? Uh, so first I needed to check, is there any characters that aren't supposed to be there? Is there any, uh, like curly braces that are opened, but not closed and, and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then also like checking it's, is the format what I need? And then basically after I had done this, Microsoft came out with this library that is basically exactly <laughs> doing this and, and much more and better. So yeah, now I'm using this. <laughs> oh, but this sounds um, very interesting that we now already have like middle libraries or middlemen between me and ChatGPT. I thought like I don't need anything, but this is the first time I hear about this um, library from Microsoft. And it sounds 
totally like, yeah, I've seen that before that I want a specific reply from ChatGPT and just not getting it. So using something in the middle to describe it and then like that library handles it makes totally sense. Yeah. For, for Feld, I assume that the plan is, or I don't know if you've already did this, but there's like one felt app on the app store which is launched so you need like some id to actually launch an app clip um and then like felt is launching the container or package that the user defined is that how it would work technically under the hood yeah yeah exactly so there's only one app and of course like for many use cases this is not the ideal solution right because uh, if you are doing an, if you are making an app with Felt, that means you don't have an app on the App Store that like people can find under your name. Um, but with the App Clip, for example, you have also this launch experience where you click the link or scan the QR code, and then it opens like a little preview window. And those you can actually um, configure in App Store Connect and also configure via an API. So I have this idea that. Like if you give your app a name and like an image, for example, this could be in the launch window. Like it would still say felt, but it would look like a little bit like your app. And then also you could technically take the felt app and um, just publish it in the app store. So if there's really someone that, that is interested in like having it as their own app in the app store, this would be something that could be done by cloning, basically taking the container app and um, hard coding a single app ID into it, right? So then you could have this <clears> container <throat> app, which would be then the container for only one single uh, app in the backend and publish it as, as that in the app store. So, but that's all uh, <laughs> ideas for later so far. Yeah, I also had an idea because you said login with Apple is the preferred way and available. I, I just had the flow of like scanning a QR code in a restaurant. It opens this cool app clip thing, which looks kind of native. Then you do a login with Apple and the company, which used Felt to create this app clip, just gets the email from the login with Apple. So you're basically quickly joining their email list or newsletter by just using login with Apple. So you don't even have to type in your email. I mean, there's like people can hide their email with login with Apple, but you still as a restaurant, you have the ability now to contact that person um, and they have like a nice easier sign up for the newsletter way you could connect this now and then to get a discount or something but yeah, um, yeah. you know I'm also like an indie hacker <laughs> and I love to <laughs> think about these ideas and uh, this is just like at the edge of technology like app clips and stuff um, things people don't really use yet or haven't found a great way to use so yeah, I love the idea of, of felt in general. Um, what, what is the backend technology? What is your backend and um, what are your languages that you use? Uh, so it's it's all in TypeScript, um, backend and frontend. So I, because like in some regard, this is a crazy project, right? Because it's, the scope <laughs> is, uh, is um, Ridic ridiculous for one person uh, usually um, but you could need I a co-founder <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's something that I, so if there's anyone out there uh, something I'm thinking about but also uh, that's also kind of what um, motivates me with felt because uh, it, a bit of the thing that I want to like prove with this or try with this is I think it's incredible what you can build as a single person today, right? So I I see all those startups with millions in VC fundings and teams of like 300 people. And, and there's certainly like uh, areas where you need that. And, and, and many of them are doing, sorry, my, my Siri is interrupting me. <laughs> Probably also built by a team of 300. Um, <laughs> 3,000. So, I, like I, I think today with the tools that we have, with um, like React Native, with Expo, uh, with ChatGPT helping you as as kind of your co-founder as well or, or co-programmer, um, I think um, yeah you can do a lot as a single as a one-man show as a single person, um, which wouldn't have been possible like just a few years ago. So that's also something that I'm trying to explore. Is like can you build something that's really challenging and has a broad scope with like backend and front end and web and mobile 
um, and can you do that as a single person? I think one of the ways that uh, like makes it possible is having one language that does all of that, right? I'm, I'm not switching between different stuff. I'm writing TypeScript. I'm writing TypeScript um, uh, for the backend. So I'm writing, uh, I'm using AWS CDK, Cloud Development Toolkit. So I'm basically using TypeScript to describe the infrastructure I need. So, uh, and it's all serverless. So I describe like the APIs that I need, the database, the uh, DNS, um, Lambda functions, everything that's in the backend is described in TypeScript. Um, then the backend itself, like the Lambda functions and, and stuff like that is running in TypeScript. Um, the website is in TypeScript, the mobile app is in TypeScript. So there's like, yeah, it's it's a big monorepo uh, with lots of different projects like backend and mobile and web um, and a CLI. There's a CLI tool um, because it, as I said, it started with like you generate something where you write code and I still want to keep this. I, I don't want this to be AI purely. Uh, so the big challenge right now is to somehow combine code and AI, right? So I, I want you to <laughs> tell the AI what you need and it generates like a basic app, but then you will have things where you want to like change things or add things and this could be done by code. So, but how can you like start with AI and then uh, continue in in code and then maybe use AI again to to add something in the code. So you have yeah, like a back yeah, and that, forth between yourself and AI. That, that kind of makes sense. I, I was thinking about if I have like uh, these two options to maintain, start with AI or start with code, that's like a very strong separation. Like people who want to use AI to define an app are definitely not the people who want to use a CLI or install a CLI and define something. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, starting with AI and then moving into code, if you need to fine tune, that could definitely be a flow that works. Um, we, we we already covered a lot uh, in the first 30 minutes and I want to get into your other application as well. So uh, what's the release plan for Feld? Is there like any date <laughs> you hope it will be so somewhat live? Uh, no, I, I don't have anything that I can okay. point to, um, which is, which is uh, part of the reason or which is the big reason for the other app as well, because um, yeah, the felt will take a while. Um, I'm I'm changing stuff um, as well. I, I did a major rewrite to um, to incorporate offline first, uh, which we can talk about in in regard to uh, share my stack. Yes. So yeah, I changed a lot of the architecture as well, which again was something like if there was like a release date and you have to keep it, then you would be better informed to just stick with what you have. Uh, but if like yeah, it, it's both a blessing and a curse that I don't have like the pressure to release it to a certain date. So if, if I, I think that there's much better ways to do it, I'm going to allow myself to rewrite big parts of the code and, and, and do that. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah, I, it's, it's definitely uh, it, it's like a sin among indie hackers to take yeah. like a year to work on a project. But on the other hand, your site looks really good. Like compared to other people who really ship fast or get feedback really quickly, I think this looks already very polished. I mean, your know, about page is not working or something, but you already have this nice little demo up. I don't know how big is the wait list already. Can you share numbers? It's uh, yeah, I think like uh, eighty people. So it's not very, it's yeah. not very big. Uh, yet, but but it's like a very niche product. It's it's not like something everybody needs. Um, but yeah. for those, it could be really interesting. Oh, so, I, I wanted to uh, mention oh, because you mentioned the demo video earlier. That's actually done in TypeScript as well. There's a really nice project out there, Remotion, uh, which allows oh, you yeah, to from, from programmatically Johnny, right? create video. Yeah, from Johnny. Yeah, that's a it's an awesome project. And uh, yeah, so the demo video is done in code as well. And I like it had it came with a is... nice idea as well, but I stopped working on that. It's actually the the demo that you see in the video, I think the example I used in the video mm -hmm. is someone saying that they need a restaurant management app or something, and then it mm -hmm. creates the yeah. app to manage like booking tables and, and also recipes and stuff. That's all dynamic. So you can create the same demo video with like a different prompt. And then the demo video would have like um, 
a different um like you would hear a different audio because it's text to speech you would see the cool. the text in the video and then also another <laughs> app coming out at the end so i my plan was to have like a hundred of these demo videos and each of them with a different idea um yeah i, I get to that once yeah, right. share my stack is launched <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> Uh, so many ideas, and I made to make a note to contact Johnny to to bring him on as well. Um, oh, yeah, that would be so awesome. So moving on from 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 a felt app to share my stack, which is your latest project. We're recording this a bit earlier, so uh, you are gearing up towards the launch. But when the podcast is released, people can already check it out at sharemystack.com, at least hopefully. And tell tell me what is share my stack about first of all? Yeah. So with this one, um, <clears throat> so with Felt, the idea came first. And then like this was something that I just had to do because I I love the idea and, and the, the space I love. With Share My Stack, actually, my first uh, thought was I want to do an app that, I, that I'm going to release on the App Store in the very near future <laughs> <laughs> just to have something a to have something to show to to see that I can go through the whole process and not just start a project and then work on it for two years. <laughs> um, and then so I, I thought about ideas that are like more manageable in scope, right. Um, and then yeah, the, the, the idea itself was um, people like to share what tools they are using. So I uh, first it wasn't even about technology stacks. It came more out of the productivity space. Uh, so I'm kind of a, a nerd in the productivity regard. So I, I use Obsidian to to have nodes and, and link them and uh, follow some YouTubers that are talking about like uh, having your second brain and, and how you manage your knowledge and, and optimize your learning. And in this whole productivity space, um, people like to share what tools they use, like what's your note taking app, what's your email app, what's your what's your calendar. Um, and so my idea was to have an app that allows people to share what tools they use to basically answer the question, what what tools do you use for email, calendar, note taking, whatever. Um, app it is and also like to have it in the app to to send it to someone but also to generate images that you could share on social media because i saw on twitter for example people making posts with listing their stack and then others commenting and listing their stack and saying i'm using those tools uh, so yeah that was the idea for share my stack and then um with this one really my main goal was to get it out quick and um, now it has been uh, a bit over three months now, I think, since I started it. And I got it on uh, the App Store, like after two months, I think, and started uh, giving test flight links. So this one will launch on Sunday. So that's uh, it, it's ready. It's I just have to press the button and it's already being used by <laughs> nice. uh, <clears throat> some users. And one of the most common feedbacks from early users was uh, they want to do multiple stacks. They don't want to just do a stack with their productivity apps, but they, because naturally many people that I knew and, and gave the test flight link to were developers. And they said, I want to right. use this to document that I'm using TypeScript, that I'm using Next.js and that I'm using, uh, I don't know, VS Code and, and uh, this and that terminal app, for example. Uh, so yeah, that's something that I added. So now you can have um, basically different stacks and I, I'm starting with um, productivity stacks and development stacks, but there's also other ideas already. Uh, I said earlier, my wife is a teacher and she said that would be good for, because we are always talking about what are you using for classroom mm. management and to create worksheets and stuff like that. So. Uh, that could be a way for teachers to share the tools that they use. Um, that could be a way for like creators um, to share what they use. Uh, but for now, it will start with productivity and, and development. Yeah, I, I love the idea. Um, I'm also a bit of a nerd when it comes to productivity, although I try to scale <laughs> it down because I found like 
there's just so much you can do. And I, my credo has now become just give your best every day. And if I feel like at the end of the day, I did my best, I did running, I ate good, I, I did some good work, then I feel good about the day. And I don't try to over optimize every minute of my life anymore. And I, I did that in the past, but it didn't really help me in the end. But um, share my stack definitely looks great. It looks like a manageable project more than felt. <laughs> and, uh, it's great that you, you're getting it out soon. Are you, do you have any plans to monetize this in the future or was this purely uh, like maybe not fun, but yeah, just, just like working on something useful? Yeah, so monetizing was definitely not the, the main intention. Um, to some extent, um, it should it should be like a showcase for my work and and um, help me talk about what I do and also uh, possibly um, attract uh, like freelance contracts, for example. So I'm doing freelance work as well um, to to earn an income. So that is something that I'm using this as well for as like uh, have have a showcase basically for for what I do. So in this regard, yeah, there is some aspect of monetization. But the app itself, uh, for now, will be totally free. I I do have some ideas how you could approach monetization. So a very simple one would be there's all all those tools in there, and you can the tools link to the websites. So I could put in affiliate links, um, mm. and then of course there would be the option to do like a, a pro version that has some additional features for people that are really into it. But to be honest, I. Like I like the idea of share my stack and and the um, feedback um, of people that tried it was was really encouraging, but I also think it it will not be like it, it's not a a big business somehow. Yeah, I I, I don't have the illusion right. that this is something that I'm gonna live off someday. That that's something that felt could maybe be if it if it uh, gets over the finish line someday. But uh, share my stack is is more like a little fun project. Yeah, and and if there's some uh, if it helps me to recoup some money that I'm paying for for services or for for like hosting and stuff, then that would be nice. Yeah, but it's it's not meant as a business for now. Yeah, but I still think that even if you consider this just as a free project, it looks better than most of the stuff I did. Um, so both in terms of the app and the landing page, which is pretty clear. Are you using any specific, just out of own curiosity, any template for the landing page yeah, or is it yeah. like Tailwind or what is it? Yeah, for the, t for the landing page, uh, and that is true for Felt as well, I, I can't take credit for the landing page um, because this is something where I, uh, I'm, I'm proud uh, of myself. I, uh, like uh, said, okay, th this uh, investing a lot of time in this uh, wouldn't be a good use of my time, and it just go. I'm just going to go with a default template here. So yeah, they are both made with Tailwind. Um, Tailwind has like um, as their monetization option, so to say. They have um, Tailwind UI, which is a template library. Yes. Uh, which I bought like three years ago or something, um, and and since then I'm using it for for most of the stuff that I do because it it it, 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 it really looks good. It's totally easy and uh, yeah. Of course, the disadvantage is other people use it as well, so it's not totally <laughs> yeah. unique. But uh, that that's fine for. For my yeah, needs. the 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 Tailwind UI business model is totally ridiculous. I also paid for it like a few years ago, and I've used it so many times. They just yeah. keep adding stuff. I mean, they like last year they added e-commerce or something and made it like a paid upgrade, but still it was very inexpensive to just upgrade it to also get those templates. And yeah, they yeah, I don't know how yeah. they make it work. <laughs> I think all in all, uh, it was like three hundred dollar or maybe even two hundred fifty or something. So it was probably one of the best investments I, I ever made yeah 100 percent, same same um so yeah share my stake uh, although it is maybe just a funny side project i think there's something very interesting and although we're running a bit short on time uh we should talk about this uh before we wrap up and that is you, you shared recently something that you are using react native of course expo and then you're using uh, offline first approach. Um, you're using watermelon DB and sync it to Superbase. And when I saw this, I was like, 
Wow, yeah, that is actually really the the perfect thing to do because I'm a big fan of Superbase. I've worked with them a couple of times. Uh, they were sponsors of my content and I just loved using them. And by the way, did you move to Singapore because you're closer to Superbase? Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, how, how does this work? Is it hard to set up? What is watermelon? Uh, just just like explain the process a bit more because I have never done anything like that. Yeah. Uh, so maybe before <clears throat> talking about watermelon specifically, let me just uh, say what offline first means as a general uh, concept. So the idea is basically that you have the data that you are working with in the app offline uh, and you are doing your operations like reading data, writing data offline first, and then you replicate or sync with a backend, uh, which... Uh, has multiple advantages. The obvious one being your app works while being offline. Um, but that's not even the primary one for me because basically you are almost never offline, right? And, and like, yeah. I, I don't think people need to be using share my stack when they fly on an airplane, for example, it's not a business. I, I, I was on a cruise yeah. last week. And if you're <laughs> on a cruise, you're also sometimes very lost. <laughs> yeah, but I think you can manage like not updating your productivity stack when you are on the cruise. So. <laughs> So yeah, my, it's not my illusion that this needs to be available offline, but um, of course it also means everything you do is happening incredibly fast, right? Because that you have no yes. internet is pretty rare these days, but uh, that you have like a spotty connection um, or something that is still pretty common, right? So it just yes. makes the app very snappy. And also for you as a developer, it makes it quite easy, um, at least if you have set it up everything then it's it's easy in the sense that you are just working with a local database right so and you you read stuff you write stuff and then you have one syncing mechanism in the in the background so yeah it, it makes some things easier for you other things it makes more complicated of course i'm gonna get into this um, but it <laughs> makes it definitely for the user it makes it um, more performant snappier and, and more reliable uh, so yeah, that was something that I really liked about the idea. Does it is it something that is absolutely required for an app like Share My Stack? No, absolutely not. But again, <laughs> it was something that I I think offline first is it's of course not a new concept, right? It's 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 a pretty old concept. Apps were built like this uh, 30 years ago, right? On on computers. Um, but um, I think it's something that is gaining a lot of attention and popularity in, in recent months and, and which is kind of like it's coming back somehow, right? And I think for good reason. Yeah. And that's and why I, think... I wanted to to try it out and, and use it and share my stack. Yeah, and uh, we, I had a recording with Vadim from Not Just Dev a couple of weeks ago. And he also said, like, when you try out new projects and side projects, that's a perfect time to try something new. You don't like, if you just always keep to your technology. I mean, Peter Levels can do it with his one PHP file and generate millions. But uh, for developers, it's usually really a great place to just try out new technology, try out Next.js or Remix, or uh, in your case, doing something with offline first and, and Melon database uh, when you try such a fun project. If you're interested in making quick money, then probably just stick to what you know so you can ship something fast. But yeah. for Share My Stack, yeah, that's, that's like the perfect use case. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Agree. So then I, the question was like how to do offline first. And then I came across watermelon. Right. There's different solutions now. Um, and, and like, since I've started using this, um, uh, I have seen like many solutions, uh, like came onto my radar. I think it's like, if you, how is this saying? If you, if you buy a red car, you suddenly see red cars everywhere. Yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah. So since then, I, I have uh, come across different solutions and also like tried a couple of them. I, I'm definitely um, interested in this and trying out more more stuff. But Watermelon basically is um, based on SQLite, uh, which is also a funny thing that SQLite is coming back big time because it's like a very, <laughs> yeah. very old technology as well. And it seems to be the hottest database right now. Uh, <laughs> So there's many projects around this and yeah, watermelon is one of those. So it's built on SQLite and it basically, um, you install it in react native and I described in the, in the blog post, how to do this. And then, um, you have this local database, uh, that you can just work against. And then 
so you basically do just reads and writes against this database and then you have a sync engine um, and also watermelon comes with like um, a reactive layer on top so that means that you can um, if you include data in your ui um, it's reactive to changes in the database so if something changes in the database it updates the ui automatically and so, then so you like have... as an example if i add a new technology stack in a modal it will automatically appear in the list on the previous page because it's like uh, automatically updated in the background. Exactly. So if you have the same data in different places, you change it once and then the other places update as well. Um, components re-render without you need, needing to do anything. And also if you, if you do the update on a different device and then you do the syncing in the backgrounds, the interface will also update if the changes come from the server and are not done locally. And this Syncing of changes is also something uh, that is at least partly done by Watermelon. Um, it has a sync function that you can hook into basically. And the function does two things, uh, push and pull, and it works with a change set. So um, it basically gives you a list of changes that you then have the responsibility to do something with in the, in the backend. And also you can like, get a list of changes from the backend and hand it to Watermelon and then it consolidates those changes into the database. And this is where I hooked in Superbase. Um, and what I just did is basically take this list of changes and call um, an RPC function in Superbase, uh, so just a regular Postgres uh, remote procedure call, which takes this list of changes, which is a JSON object again, and then pass this JSON, JSON and make the updates in the database. And the other way around as well, uh, ask the database for things that have changed and compile um, this JSON format of changes and give it to Watermelon to do the local update. That's a bit tedious. I think it, it can probably be optimized somehow, but uh, right now these um, functions that are used in Superbase, they are quite uh, complex and repetitive. So that is something uh, which I'm not uh, totally happy about. Um, so um, one big drawback is if I change the data model, for example, if I add a field, I have to add it in different places now. So I have to add it to the uh, migration and Superbase so that it exists in the database, basically. Then I have to add it into the um, RPC function so that it gets pulled and put into the JSON object. And then also watermelon db has a local schema in your app so you create a schema in typescript where you describe basically what the data structure looks like and there you have to add the new field as well so that's something that is not ideal but if the data model doesn't change very often then i think it's acceptable and it then it means that it's quite easy to implement and and leads to quite nice results in terms of like, um, performance and responsiveness I will definitely link to the post you wrote about this uh, on your personal website. Um, building an offline first React Native app with Expo, Watermelon, and Superbase. Uh, looking at the code, it actually doesn't look too hard. I mean, of course, the RPCs always look a bit cryptical, <laughs> but um, just getting into this. Uh, the synchronized function, on the other hand, looks pretty easy, and I feel like you could easily also replace Superbase with your own Node.js API and just handle um, this on your own like handle the changes, pull and push them to your whatever database you connect to your Node.js API. It doesn't have to be Superbase, yeah. right? Yeah, that, that's the nice thing about WatermelonDB. It has this sync function, which basically um, you plug into whatever um, communication with a backend you want, right? So it, in my case, I took an RPC call to Superbase, but it could, it could be like a REST API that you call. So it doesn't even need to be a direct database connection can be like an API call to a REST API or something totally different. Yeah, that's definitely cool. I know that uh, with the last Expo launch party, I think, uh, Expo also announced that they're investing heavily into this uh, offline first concept. Did they also want to use something with Watermelon? Uh, are you aware of what Expo was working on? Because I kind of, I think I talked about this, but I forgot what exactly the tech was. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware because I started implementing this for, for Feld. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> it, 
It's uh, it's an approach that is more complex, but also uh, a lot more powerful. So what they are using is um, is a CIDT, uh, which stands for I hope I get this correctly, the uh, conflict free replicated data type, which is uh, um, more like an academic topic, uh, to be honest, uh, is my <laughs> feeling that is but which is right now making its way into quite a few libraries and, and, and things to use. So the basic uh, concept is that you have data types which are inherently conflict-free, meaning um, they can exist on different devices, for example, and then you can have changes. And then when the devices connect again, those changes get exchanged. So uh, they send them to each other. And then there's an algorithm that is deterministic in the sense that taking those changes, it comes to an end state, which will be the same on both the devices, right? So they don't exchange the data itself directly. It exchanges the modifications that have been done on the data. And then basically on both devices or even on multiple devices, it plays back all those changes <laughs> and then, um, yeah, comes to a conclusion that will be the same conclusion on each device. So in the end, you will have a consistent state, even though you had like diverging uh, states while the devices were not connected. And this is something that that Expo is using. There is a, a project which is called uh, CR SQLite. So again, build on SQLite, which basically takes this CRDT approach and builds it as a runtime plugin into SQLite. Um, which again means you as a developer in the app are just talking to a, um, a SQLite database and, and writing your data. And then in the back end, you have this CRDT happening, meaning you, you sync those changes and then transfer them to the other device. And then both databases will just reconcile all those um, changes and, and yeah, end with the same result. So it, it's... It's uh, more complex than uh, watermelon. Yeah. With watermelon, for example, of course, you can also have conflicts because you can work offline and then you sync. But with watermelon, it's fairly easy. Uh, you just have then two different records and the newest one wins. So if you did okay. a change on one <laughs> device after a change on another device, this will override it. With CIDT, you can have more complex stuff like two people editing the same record and changing different fields and this will be merged together so that you will have mm -hmm. uh, a record that is like yeah consisting of both those changes and and converging them so it, it's more yeah. powerful but also a lot more complex yeah it, it definitely sounds more more powerful and more sophisticated but also more challenging so uh, for for regular people just getting into uh, offline first probably watermelon uh, would be a bit easier to implement based on, on what I see here. Um, yeah. Based on your research, is there anything uh, that does the same as Watermelon, uh, like any competitor or anything you, you tried before arriving at Watermelon, or is it like the only thing uh, you can recommend for React Native? And there's one thing that came up while I was researching this, and this was Elastic Cache. Uh, but to be honest, I... I have not used it and worked with it. It seems to be um, similar in some ways, uh, but I, I can't really talk about it. Uh, just to just throw it out there, if people are researching, I think Watermelon and then Elastic Cache was the other option that came up. And then since I have um, implemented all of this with Share My Stack, uh, very recently I came across PowerSync, uh, which seems to be comparable to Watermelon in the sense that they also work with a local database and um, then do syncing via the backend and they also support um, Superbase as a backend. So that seems mm. comparable. Uh, that's something that I'm looking into right now, just out of curiosity, but um, I, I also I cannot talk about how, how easy or good it is. So. Okay. Is uh, Realm from, from MongoDB also in the same category or is Realm not doing the same because I think I heard Realm is also working offline. I don't know, to be honest. I haven't heard about okay. it, I think. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Yeah. But if it's coming All from right. MongoDB, it's it's probably interesting to look at this as well. Yeah, There's yeah I'm, I'm talking player. actually to the head of the team from MongoDB today. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we'll hear more about that. 
Benedict, this was awesome. This has been the longest episode recorded so far on the podcast. But I oh, also wow. highly enjoyed this because, yeah, um, I can, we could probably keep talking about an hour now for about indie hacking projects and, and technology. But we're going to have to wrap up now. Uh, thank you so much for all the insights into your applications. All links will be in the show notes to Felt App, to Share My Stack. Um, if people want to find out more about you, they can, uh, of course, go to sharemystack.com or they can also go to bndkt.com, which is your personal yeah. website. Um, to, to wrap it up, I also want to ask three quick questions, as always. Uh, so first question being, what is your favorite IDE? <laughs> My favorite IDE? I just uh, VS Code. Okay, just the good Something old VS fancy. Code. Yeah, what is the latest discovered package, library, or service that you could recommend? Package, library, or service? Um, can also be something you used in your projects or just watermelon. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say, um, oh, I, I, I know which one. Um, and I forgot to mention this, TinyBase. So that's ah. also something that I'm using in conjunction with um, CR SQLite. Um, For felt. Yes. So TinyBase is like um, a data store. So it's a bit comparable to state management libraries like, like Redux. Um, but yeah, it's basically a data store. And what, what makes it very interesting is that it has these adapters for persistence. So it means you can have like a reactive UI that reacts to changes in the data store and the data store itself can then connect to different data sources like a local database or even a remote data source like for example automate auto merge or yjs uh, uh, so communicate awesome. over web sockets so yeah it's it's an it's uh, a very interesting library by an ex uh, meta um, engineering manager um, nice nice putting this in the show notes as well. And the last question to end this on a good note, what is something that made you happy this week? Made me happy this week. Um, <laughs> oh, you're putting me on the spot and uh, I don't want to make yeah. it seem like- So, so like one of the, the great, uh, of all the great things happening in Singapore. <laughs> uh, I. I said earlier that um, one of the goals of Share My Stack was that uh, I'm looking for freelance projects and I actually do have the first uh, outreach in my direction without even launching the app. So that, that made me happy. In, nice. In nice. That's good. Hacking, Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So thank you so much, uh, Benedict, for taking the time. Again, uh, everyone check Pleasure. out Share My Stack. Is there any other place people should go to to find out more about you? Uh, no, just check out Share My Stack and then you find my profile on there as well. Yeah. Awesome. And if you want to learn more about me or learn more about React Native, check out galaxies.dev with tons of courses and material on React Native. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. So. Thank you, Benedict, uh, and hope to catch you uh, in the future when you release uh, some more uh, indie hacking projects and, of course, the Felt app. <laughs> oh, yes. Thanks for Bye. having me. <laughs>